Welcome to Long Hill Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast where you can listen to our latest sermons filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're in the car, on the couch, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Hello. Today we begin a new series going through the book of Ephesians called The In-Between. Now, if you've ever been to a a cemetery or a mausoleum, you you look at the headstones or the plaques, and you you may have noticed that there are two dates on them, usually the year that someone was born and the year that the individual died. But then you also see a dash in between that, and that dash, that represents the life that was lived in between those two years. And now, if you have believed in Jesus to save you from the penalty of your sin and you've trusted him to be your Lord, then you have a different year to celebrate, another birthday. That's the year you became spiritually alive in Christ. And from that moment until the moment you are joined with him at home in heaven, that dash is what the book of Ephesians is all about. It answers the critical questions of what does it mean to be a child of God and and what are we supposed to be doing now? In fact, one commentator even referred to Ephesians as the great rhapsody of the Christian's salvation. So in the several weeks to come, you're going to hear in detail what the church body should be like and what it should look like. One other thing that we really kind of need to know about the book of Ephesians that makes it just a powerful book to us is that while Paul is writing this letter, he is in prison. He's in prison as he's writing this. And because it's here in prison, he experiences an overflow of joy as he begins writing this letter. He starts by gushing about the glorious grace of Jesus. So even though his body may be imprisoned, his soul was completely free, and we see that reflected in his writing, especially this first chapter, which is entirely uplifting. It's all about what it's like being part of the family of God and what it feels like to be chosen by him as his adopted children. That's a difficult concept for us to connect with. It's difficult to connect with that emotionally unless you've been physically adopted. But my hope here is that Shauna Weiss's story will help you as much as it helped me connect with that. Shauna Weiss was only 12 when her father passed away. Being one of seven children meant that her mother was not going to be able to care for them for very long. And within a very short period of time, they lost their home. And all seven children were sent out to live with friends or the community members in the area. Wasn't very long, in fact, a little less than a year that social services stepped in and Shauna was placed in foster care. Now, being 13 and an orphan at this time was a very hard place to be. At at this time, there were not a lot of people who were eager to adopt a middle school-aged child. So remaining in the system, she had lived with three different families over as many years. It's during that time she learned what it meant. She learned what it felt like to be abandoned, unwanted, and alone. 
At age 16, she was able to move out of foster homes and, and was placed in a group home where she had a, a kind of a family-esque, family-adjacent structure with her peers and with the social workers there, but obviously very far from ideal. But she had a plan. On her 18th birthday, when uh, she was then aged out of being a ward of the state, she and a friend of hers who was also turning 18 the same month as her, they were going to pool their money that they got from the government every month, and they were going to rent a small basement apartment together. You see, over the course of time of her experiences, both with, with her family being abandoned and with, with all the foster homes that she was in, uh, the experiences there, she had put off any hopes as well as any misgivings she may have had of ever being able to call people family out of her heart and her mind completely put away. Shortly after she turned 17, because she was going to age out soon, she was asked by her social worker if she going to speak at an adoption event that was focused on adopting older kids and asked if she would share her story and experiences as someone who was in this system. Hesitantly, not wanting to get her hopes up of anything, she agreed. But now in attendance at this event, there was a couple in their 40s who were not able to have children of their own. And they were really just there. They weren't foster parents yet. They were just there to explore what it might be like, what it, what's all entailed in becoming foster parents. But after hearing Shauna and her story, oh, they, they completely had to do something about it. So they asked her caseworker if, and then eventually Shauna, if she would spend the rest of her time in foster care with them in their home. Oh, Shauna, knowing this was a better situation than being in the group home, she absolutely agreed. And after only a few months, this couple fell completely in love with Shauna and then asked her caseworker and Shauna if she would be willing to be a permanent member of their family. But remember, Shauna had, uh, she had ideas of her own. She, she had a plan for her own life. So after a little bit of time, she decided, yes, I'll do this. She had been hurt by family in the past. So the hesitancy there, she decided to go through with it. And from the moment those papers were signed, she was then entitled to all the rights and privileges that came with being this couple's daughter. She became a part of a much bigger family. Both her new mom and her dad, uh, they, they both had extended families. She grew uh, very quickly, grew close to her dad's dad. She had grandfathers, grandmothers, uncles, aunts, cousins, and something no one knew at the time. She was about to become a big sister. Her parents had a baby boy, and this boy, this is now Shauna's uh, baby brother, this is a big sister, and it's all he will ever know her as. There will never be a point in this child's life where Shauna wasn't there, where she didn't exist as her, uh, as his big sister. For Shauna, the feelings of uh, just all over the place, but she describes feeling like everything came full circle, that her life is complete again. She knows on a deeper level than most people what it means and what it feels like to be claimed, to be wanted, and to be deeply loved. 
Alshana had absolutely no legal right or claim to be called a member of her adoptive parents' family. They chose her, and she responded. In the same way, I had no legal claim or right to be called a child of God, but he chose me, and I responded. And if you have trusted Jesus to save you, God chose you, and you responded. Just as Paul shares, explains here and shares with us in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at the first 14 verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we uh, were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory." And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Wow. Wow. Paul absolutely gushing about God's glorious grace from a prison cell. So I have to ask the question here, what, what does it look like? What does it mean to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms? Well, for me, to put it simply, it's, it's this. It means to, com be, to be completely known and completely loved. So it's every part of you, the, the stuff that you like, the stuff that you don't like, the light that's in you and the darkness that's inside of you, to be completely known and completely loved by a heavenly Father. It means that your soul is preserved, that you have a home in heaven for all eternity. But Paul doesn't put it simply. He gets a little bit deeper here, actually much deeper here. So we look at verse 4. Paul says that God's choosing you, it predated creation. Before anything was made, God had chosen you. Before there was ever a need for salvation, you were chosen. You were thought of. 
Before God had put the stars in the sky, he had you in his heart and his mind and had nothing but love for your soul. And in verse 5, Paul says that God's choosing you, it was intentional and out of love. This is not an accidental decision that he made to love you and choose you. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't something arbitrary like a draft. It, it wasn't at random. It was intentional. It's meaningful and it has a purpose. And it's according to his good pleasure, which literally means he was willing to choose you and that he experienced joy doing it. And because he reached out to us first, there can never be any pride in ourselves of being chosen that we are God's children. And here's why. Again, verse 5. We have been adopted. We who had no legal right or legitimate claim to the rights and benefits that come from being God's children, like inheriting the kingdom of heaven, inheriting God's throne, being an heir to everything that God is, everything he has, and everything that he is able to do. But when we said yes to his offer of adoption, we were given all of it. All of the rights and privileges that come from being a child of God. And this he did out of his good pleasure. So that you would not be an orphaned soul. That you would not feel lost or abandoned. That you would not belong to yourself or to the world. But that you would be able to be called his. You belong to God. You're his child. And you are a legal citizen of the kingdom of heaven, a legitimate heir to the very throne of God. All to the praise of his glorious grace that Paul says he lavished on us. These undeserved riches of grace have been lavished on us. Let me talk about that for a minute here. Lavished means that it is in abundance. It's in excess. Much more than what is sufficient. The only reason for such an excess of grace is to provide hope for our souls in the here and now, in this life, in this world. God isn't only concerned with where we end up. He's concerned about the dash, the in-between. What? The life that we now live. It's so that we can be assured that God who chose us when only he existed, that he will not leave us victim to the woes of time and life. And that we've been metaphorically sealed as like a letter with God's own signet, his seal, his brand, his crest by the Holy Spirit. We, his sons and daughters, can abound in the riches of his glorious grace that he has lavished on us. So this is how we live a spiritually lavish life. Just like Paul's, he wrote these words from within a prison, which at this time, it's basically a cave with, with a, a steel barred door blocking the entrance. There's very little light. It's dark, it's dank, it's musty, it's dirty, it's miserable. But these are the words that Paul pens, gushing about his father's love for him and for the Ephesians. We live a spiritually lavish life 
when one, we understand that our soul's wealth is determined by the riches of God's grace. We live a spiritually lavish life when we understand that our worth and value is not something that can be earned, but rather is placed on us and all because it pleases God to do so. And we live a spiritually lavish life when our current circumstances have no bearing on the peace, the joy, the hope, and the freedom that we experience within our souls. If you want to live a spiritually lavish life, then know this, that the more you're in God's presence, the more of his glorious grace you experience, the more wealth your soul accumulates. And this is not wealth that you can spend out in the world or, or on finite things. This is wealth that's stored up and built up and grows to it, overflows into the world around us. When we are thriving in God's grace, we become more and more and more loving, more joyful, peaceful, forgiving, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. That might not describe most of the people that you know. That's because only those who understand that they are holy and completely loved can feel those things, can live those things out. It's all because they don't have to strive to feel accepted, significant, or secure. So then for those who do, for those who are, there is no pride pushing them to become something they're not. There's no pride pushing them to become something more than what they are. There are no fears or insecurities that cause them to perceive others as threats on their way to becoming more. And they are not self-reliant, which is causes, the, uh, causes them to stress over what happens next. But rather, instead, they bask in the riches of God's glorious grace that he has lavished on them. There's no amount of money, no amount of anything, uh, skill, talent, uh, meditate, nothing can ever buy you that level of love, joy, peace, or freedom. Now that, that's living a spiritually lavish life. And it's such a life. It makes you a better person. It makes you more like Jesus. And that's why out of all the things that Paul could have gotten on his knees and begged God for uh, day and night on behalf of the Ephesians, he prayed that they would know God better. Let's finish that chapter, starting in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. 
far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the body, which, uh, I'm sorry, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, why would Paul, why would he ask for the Ephesians to know the Father better? He could have asked for anything. Why that? Because he knows that when you pursue our Father better, when you pursue knowing him more, it pulls us out of ourselves. And it puts us in the back in a place where everything else is insignificant except who we are and what we are. Holy, purely, and completely loved by God. The better we know the Father, the more we understand how loved we are. And it's always so much more than we previously thought was ever possible. If you have trusted Jesus to save your soul and be Lord of your life, then you are a child of God. When you strip everything else away, the eyes of your heart are opened to experience the Holy Spirit's wisdom spoken directly into your soul. He shares a new depth of God's love for you. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us, that seal that he placed on us. He shares a new depth of God's love for you. There's absolutely nothing that compares to that feeling. There's a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones called Joy, uh, uh, yeah, Joy Unspeakable. Oh, I, I, I advise you, pick that, pick that book up, find it. I don't know if it's on Amazon or whatever. But that book, it just shares story after story after story of people who experienced the love of God pouring into them, and it's a love they never thought possible. One man sitting alone in his room, praying and, and inviting God, being in God's presence, seeking just more of him, had such an experience, and he, he, he referred to it as, as the liquid drops of love were being poured directly into his soul, and he could do nothing but sit there and sob, not because he's sad or grieving anything, but because of how overwhelmed he, uh, he felt of God's love. Overwhelmingly, how overpowered him, overtook his emotions, knowing how loved he was. Paul knows there's absolutely nothing like that feeling. So Paul's prayer was chosen carefully. This was not a simple prayer. It's not a short, unimaginative, common, let's bless the food kind of prayer. This is a thought out, complex, and a challenging prayer. He asked for us to know God better because it's the best gift he knows anyone could ever get because nothing compares to knowing God better. The more we know him, the more we know we're loved. There's no greater thing. And Paul had experienced this himself and now wants the same for the Ephesians. And you know what? He's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. When you get to know the Father better, you realize something. You realize that you are God's favorite child. Don't think you knew that. You are God's favorite child. I know that because he preferred to send his only begotten child to die so that he could call you his child. It pleased him 
to do this so that he could call you his child. You are God's favorite child. And I can say that with complete confidence because I am too. Paul's prayer is so fitting and so necessary for all of us. I beg God that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would know the Father better, to know how loved you are. And Paul went on asking that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, meaning that we would know the depths of these three truths. One, the hope which our Father has called us to, to know the riches of his inheritance, and to know his power for us. First depths of the hope we are called to, to know that God has not left us in hopeless despair as victims to the woes of time and life. No, hope does the opposite of that. Hope stays with you. And this is the hope that he has called you to, the hope that he chose you for before anything was created. That when you are fully secure that the issue of your eternity is secured, what happens to you in this life, in this world, it really doesn't matter because it cannot compare to the glory that will be revealed in you when you see him face to face. That is our reality. That is our hope. Next thing he asks for us to know the depths of is, is that the riches of his glorious inheritance. <laughs> that sounds good, right? That's, that's, what do we get? What do we get? What's our inheritance? That's not what Paul means here. That's not what he's saying. Paul wrote the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So the riches of God in this context is not what we get, but rather it's what we are. Well, I have to admit it, it took some studying for me because I always thought it was what we get. It's, it's not that way, not in this context. I did a little studying on this. It's what we're valued at. It's what we are. Are. Paul was asking God that we would know how much we are worth, how much we're valued to God, the worth that He has placed on us, to know that we are His treasure and that His plan to accomplish His eternal purpose takes place through us. This is the plan that he set in motion before the universe was created. It included us. The worth and the value that God has placed on you cannot be measured by human standards. We try to do that on our own, and it only leads to depression and anxiety. There is nothing that you can add to anything in our finite minds that can come close to the worth, the value that God has placed on you. That's why Paul's asking that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened to know the depths of how great a measure of worth that God sees in you. God's plan has worked out for us and it's worked out through us to introduce others to Jesus. We are his prize, his treasure. We matter more to God than anything. And then the last thing he asks us to know the depths of is the power of God 
in us. And we need this power in order to carry out, in order to accomplish his purpose through us. Since God, it's God who opens our minds up through wisdom and understanding to know him and, and to have our hearts accept him. We need his power in us, working through us to speak his truth and live out his truth. We have uh, been given the power to be called God's children, and as such, we are his representatives, heaven's representatives to this earth. And we cannot do this effectively without his mighty power. Now, note to know the depths of that. When we understand and discover the depths of this power, it's the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, that raised us to eternal life, that gives us practical victory over sin, that heals the sick, that cares for the poor, that casts out demons. When we discover the depths of this power and we begin to realize that there is nothing impossible to God and so there is nothing that God cannot do through us. This is what Paul's asking God to open the hearts, uh, uh, the eyes of the hearts of the Ephesians to know the power of, of the resurrection power of God lives, dwells, and works in us, for us, and through us to accomplish God's mission on this earth. May the eyes of our hearts be enlightened to know the depths of these truths. My hope for us is that Paul's prayer for the Ephesians would be our prayer for ourselves and for each other so that we all might know what it's like to live a spiritually lavish life, to understand just how much we are loved by God, just how much we are worth to God, and to understand the depths of the hope he has called us to and the great power that's at work in us, for us, and through us to fulfill his purpose on this world, in this world with us. So I wonder, how many of you are responding to God's desire for you to live a spiritually lavish life? Here's some ways to tell. Are you growing in your understanding of your heavenly father? You're getting to know him better. Are you growing in your understanding of the hope he has called you to? Are you growing in your knowledge of how loved you are of how precious and valuable you are to your Father? And then are you thriving in his great power in you to carry out his purpose in the world through you? I want to invite you for just this week, just the next seven days, including today, would you please be willing to set aside just 15 minutes of your, your, your day, just spending time in your Father's presence. That can include praying to him, but please, I encourage you to spend at least as much time listening for him to speak to you and surrendering the pieces of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your body that you have not yet surrendered to him. Just 15 minutes just this week. And who knows? Maybe you get addicted to it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it is incredible that you chose me, that you chose us. We who are undeserving with 
no right to be called your children. Yet you loved us so much that you preferred to send your own begotten son to die so that you could call us your children. Thank you for choosing us for adoption and for giving us the wisdom and revelation to know, believe, and accept that gift. Would you please open the eyes of our hearts that they'd be enlightened to know the depths of how much you love us, how much we're worth to you, to know the hope that you've called us to, the depths of the hope you've called us to, and to understand and connect with the mighty power that works within us that raised Jesus from the dead, that we can fulfill your mission in this world. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week of worship.